Welcome to Antelope Road Christian Fellowship. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For service times or to join a disciple group, please visit myarcf.com. If you've been with us the last couple of weeks, you've heard as we announced that we're starting an Advent series a little bit different uh, than we've done before. We're doing a church-wide devotional together. Devotional sounds very soft and namby-pamby. I don't know who named it that. Let me take a chance to rename it. The Bible says about itself that it is a scalpel. It can cut between your soul and your spirit, if you can wrap your mind around that one. Here's what this Bible is saying about itself. It is the essence of who Jesus is. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, John 1. Okay. The Word of God, the Bible, when we teach it, when we read it, it reads us. It does things inside us. And so to allow a Bible teacher, in this case, Paul David Tripp, to allow him to teach us a little bit of the Bible each day, we're doing war against things in ourselves, Like a surgeon laying, like laying down because a surgeon has said there's something in there that should not be there. It cuts. That's literally the Greek word. When it says double-edged sword, the Bible says about itself that it is a scalpel. And you go in and you cut, and the cut hurts, but it is to provide healing. It's to take things out that do not belong there. So when I say devotional, I want you to hear, we are, as a church family, going to do war for the rest of this month. We're doing war against things inside the Christian heart that do not any longer belong there because I am now a son of the Most High, or I am a daughter of the Most High. Okay, That does not mean by any means that you need to be a Christian to pick up a cup. We have them here at the back. There are only four left. Um, you can pop on, grab them online. Um, but we're going to, on Sundays, whatever pops up on a Sunday, the first, eighth, 15th, 22, we're going to preach whatever text that Paul David Tripp was taking us through the devotional anyway. So let me again encourage you with your families, if you're single, maybe get together with friends, maybe by yourself, but every day, whether it's at breakfast, dinner time, before bed, whatever is a good, healthy rhythm for you, I want to encourage you to be opening this together. Each section, like any good devotional, is pointing to a specific text in the scripture. And the one for December 1st, those of you who've read ahead, you know the text for today. If you do not have to be around church a whole lot to have heard this phrase, or sung it more likely, it means to God in highest heaven, not to any other God, not to stuff, not to warm feelings, glory to God in highest heaven. So we've got to figure some things out as we wrestle with what the angels said. First, Christmas begins, note takers, grab your pens, Christmas begins with the real God getting real praise. It begins with the real God getting real praise. You guys didn't exactly hoot and holler when I gave that point, so allow me to teach the point until you're so excited you realize how hooting and hollering that really is. So let me catch you up to speed if you're new to church. An angel shows up to a probably 12-year-old girl, 13, maybe 14, betrothed to be married. That's a normal age in that culture, to be married soon. And the angel says to her, you're going to become pregnant by the power of God, not through natural means. And you're going to have a son, and you're going to name him What? Church folks, Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. Huh? So quick straw poll. Those of you who are parents you, by birth or by adoption, if you did a rename, anybody named your kid God with us? Any, anybody ever raised that kid for a while and thought, wow, my child is deity? No, no, not in the middle of screaming poopy diaper. No, there's no point where I am thinking, wow, you must be God incarnate. Not tempted, in the least, to come to that conclusion. But Mary is told, you are going to supernaturally become pregnant. This is what your name, his name is going to be. He's going to be God. She is the first one who is told, Messiah is coming, and he's not showing up on a white horse. Not the first time, anyway. He's going to be born. He's going to know every pain and every struggle and every temptation that human beings go through. God is going to become a man. And he comes, and I'm skipping a lot of details, he is born, 
Any ladies that have been nine months pregnant, we want to do a three-day walk from Galilee down to Bethlehem while you're nine months pregnant. Does that sound fun? Doesn't sound fun. So when the text says, and it was time for the baby to come, well, yeah, you do that much walking. Goodness gracious. There was a Roman census called by Augustus, wanted to assess the power of the empire. Everybody has to go to their ancestral hometown. So where's Joseph taking the, the uh, uh, wife, the pregnant wife? Where? Bethlehem, because he is a son of David. Church folks are with me. Tell me that matter. Does that matter? Say yes. Okay, lots going on here. Again, I'm giving you the roughshod Christmas here to kind of catch us up. The baby comes, and it doesn't say whether he's born in the morning or the afternoon. We don't know how Jesus is two hours old, he's 12 hours old. Some, later that night, close to Bethlehem, an angel shows up to shepherds to say God was born. It happened today. It happened in Bethlehem. Go see. Herod was less than six miles away. The angels didn't go to the centers of power. The temple was less than six miles away. And the angels didn't go to all the religious people and the Sanhedrin. Who did the angel proclaim to? you've got a background in church, you know the phrase ceremonially unclean. And nobody was as unclean as a shepherd. Everything about the life of the flock is your responsibility for 24 hours a day. Oh, you need to help birth a calf? Awesome. Blood, you're unclean. A wolf comes and, and kills one of your sheep and you have to deal with the carcass. You've touched something dead. You're unclean. You successfully kill the wolf before it kills you. Well, you just killed something. You're now unclean. These guys are never allowed at church. Aren't you guys glad we didn't have signs on the door saying, here are a few professions. If you do this for a living, you're not welcome here. Christmas is not for everybody who is part of the religious elite who thinks they have their act together. Christmas is not for the people who are in church all the time. Christmas is not for the wealthy and powerful, first and foremost. Christmas was announced to a peasant minority girl in a minority religion in the armpit of an empire. And then it was announced to some moon-worshipping Zoroastrians a thousand miles away. And it was announced to some guys who theoretically knew who Yahweh was, but were never going to come and worship him. They weren't allowed. So who is Christmas for? Christmas is for people who work on Sundays. Christmas is for people who have done things they can never forgive themselves for and they do not believe God will ever forgive them for what they did. That's who Christmas is for. Christmas is for people who think the Bible is full of errors and it can't be trusted. Christmas is for people who think all Christians are hypocrites. Christmas is for people who wouldn't be caught dead coming inside this room. Because God came to us. He came to us. He came to us. That's what a good father does. He initiates, he enters in, he steps into the mess. Anybody here ever gotten yourself into a problem that you had no way of getting yourself out of? You were going to need some help. If you were ever two years old, your hand needs to be up right now. My 15-month-old son, Gabriel, has decided to start a new Olympic sport, single-handedly. It's called 
Let's find a crack that is not big enough for Gabriel to fit through and let us set all of our mind and will on getting through that crack anyway. And right when we've reached the pain point of not being able to scoot between the chair and the wall, erupt in a giant scream that the cosmos didn't mold around my will. He's working on a shorter name so that the Olympic Committee will adopt it, but right now I think he's going for the gold. Humanity got ourselves into a big mess when we rebelled against our Creator. And our God came for us. So I just told you the Christmas story and I never once mentioned the shiny black SUV you're hoping to get. So did I tell the story wrong? I didn't mention the plastic stuff that you've got to put under the tree so that your kids or nieces or nephews or grandkids are happy for three whole minutes before they're playing with the box. I didn't mention the warm fuzzies of being around family. I did not mention the warm fuzzies the Hallmark Channel gives me. And that's a generic me because I don't watch the Hallmark Channel. I'm talking about you. Somebody loves you the Hallmark Channel. Good for you. I'm not talking about decorations. I'm not talking about the music that we enjoy this type of year. We're definitely not talking about snow. This is Sacramento. So what is Christmas all about, Charlie Brown? Well, let's see. Uh, the armies of heaven showed up, and this is the first thing they say. Glory to God in highest heaven. Huh? So morally perfect beings who have never sinned, sent by Yahweh to declare something to humanity. First thing off their lips. God's getting his glory. Just watch. The second person in the Trinity putting on flesh is about what? God's going to get his glory. There will be more details later, but we're going to start with a foundation. God is about to make himself famous on earth as he shows his breathtaking patience and love and mercy on rebels like you and me. That's Christmas. That's where it starts. It's not the whole picture, but that's the start. This is critical. Glory in the Bible is this word chavod, meaning heaviness, weightiness. I told first service that if you have a teenage son and you've been shooting hoops with him for years and you're waiting for the day that he can take you, you're like, ah, let's see, he's about this heavy now or he's about this height now. It's getting a little harder. I'm kind of breaking a sweat now. And then for whatever reason, the door opens and LeBron James walks into the gym. Oh, right? He gets paid more to play one game of basketball than the average American makes an entire year. One basketball game. There's a reason for that, if you watch. When LeBron walks onto the court, you're no longer examining the power differential between yourself and your teenage son of, oh, who's going to beat who? Is he old enough? Is he tall enough? Like, you're not doing that anymore. You just hand the ball to LeBron. Yes, sir. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, if Christmas is going to be done rightly, we need materialism and all the feelings and the warm fuzzies of family and all the decorations to all watch Jesus walk onto the court and go, oh, I'm sorry, it wasn't actually about me. And we have to fight for it every single hour for the next 25 days. There is not a TV ad. There's nothing in your YouTube feed that is trying to get you to give glory to God in the highest. Nothing. That's why we're putting a little book in your hands. Read the book. Better yet, whatever Bible verse he teaches on, open up your Bible and go study the whole context of the section. Because Christmas begins with God getting his glory, a weightiness 
of mere mortals like you and me, giving him praise, giving him honor, treating him like he ought to be treated. What could be more clear about what he deserves than this? For God loved the world so much that he gave his only son. There's nobody deserves praise and honor and glory like that. So a really important question. Has Christmas started for you? Has it started yet? Here we are. It's December 1. Black Friday's a couple days behind us. That other uh, holiday that we forget and stomp over because all the Christmas music's already playing. Uh, what's that, uh, that one? Ho- oh, Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving, three days behind us. You have permission now, right? As soon as Mix 96 goes to all Christmas, you can't, no one can accuse you any longer of playing Christmas music too early. It's here. No other holidays, you know, at least major ones of the culture, in between here and there. Decorations, the music, Sacramento snow, also known as rain. It's Christmas time. But has Christmas started for you yet? Let me tell you what's scary about looking at the angel's behavior and realizing, oh, Christmas starts with God getting his praise and honor and glory. That means it is possible, us, those of us in the room, or you as an individual, it is possible that you did not celebrate Christmas at all last year. Did you know that? You might have enjoyed the Hallmark warm fuzzies. You might have enjoyed favorite foods. You might have gotten to spend some time with your family. You might have enjoyed time off of work. You might have still not celebrated Christmas at all. And what I'm going to keep saying to ARCF until I am blue in the face is it has got to, for those of us who call ourselves Christians, it must be unthinkable to us that there's anyone in our city that doesn't know Jesus. That has to become a horror to us in a world that wants to lull us into comfort and there's no idolatry around comfort like Christmas time. God's enemy hates God. He hates God's glory. He hates you because you have your creator's fingerprints all over you and he wants you to be so bloody happy for the next 25 days. If Christians would just be happy in their circumstances, happy with their stuff, happy with the anticipation of opening and unwrapping stuff, happy with things that are second tier like family, second tier things that we make ultimate. If I could just get these Christians happy, oh, they might fail to proclaim. It must be intolerable to us that our city right now is walking through the Galleria Mall and doesn't know him. I do not want to go to heaven alone. I want a crowd of people behind me. To own property, which we do right here in Citrus Heights, is a sacred trust from the Most High. He is saying, you're going to proclaim the gospel in this city. Period. If he wanted us to proclaim in Cupertino, he would have given us property over there. If he wanted us to proclaim in Sparks, we would be over there. If he wanted us to proclaim in Maui, Lord bless his name, we would be in Maui right now. But we're here. Christmas is not going to ever start for most of Citrus Heights this year. It won't even happen. There will be gold and red decorations. There will be the same songs as last year, and there will be no Christmas. Our brother C.S. Lewis told us as much in the Chronicles of Narnia when Lucy is introduced to the land of Narnia by Mr. Tumnus, he says to her, oh yeah, there's beautiful snow all the time because here it is always winter and it is never Christmas. Everything looks like it ought to be Christmas, but there's no Christmas. Has it started for you yet this year? 
Has it started? My daughter who shall remain nameless She tried to pull a fast one on dad about two weeks ago. And when I say that, it makes it sound like she was trying to be sneaky. She didn't think she was trying to be sneaky. She was breaking a rule that she forgot existed. And that rule is, if you take Elf and put it into the Xbox to watch Elf, it had better be Christmas time or you're about to ruin my Christmas and or stomp over Thanksgiving. We don't do that. We're Kaisers. And I reminded her, whether she liked it or not, that we are Kaisers. And this is a very important image in the Kaiser household. Because me growing up in the 80s, my daughter now, there was a rule about when Christmas started. Anybody have a family where you had a rule about when the official start of Christmas was? Yeah, it's it's the Pharisee cultures. Some of you were loosey-goosey, but some of us had rules. In the Kaiser household, we had the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade, which said really clearly, with a giant inflated turkey at the beginning and a Santa Claus at the end, you have now been told you are free to celebrate Christmas. Yay! So that was our rule. And it became a Kaiser family tradition that after you recover from your carb coma later in the afternoon, you go into the... uh, garage to grab the desecration. Um, What's the desecration? Oh, a fake Christmas tree. And then we would pull it out of the rafters. That was throwing shade in case you missed it. Uh, I had wounds. It's been alive trees ever since as best as I can ever since. That childhood wound is just still there. Grab the fake Christmas tree. All the decorations would come out there at the back half of Thanksgiving or maybe the next day on on Black Friday. That, That was when Christmas was allowed. We had a rhythm, and I reinforced it with my daughter who shall remain nameless. It was middle of November. Goodness gracious, like, child, it is not Christmas yet. You may watch Elf 19 times, but it's going to be after Christmas. <laughs> Later. How does America know that Christmas is here? How do we know? And what if we are lied to? The angels are saying with their words, clear as day, that Christmas starts when God gets his glory. So any other definition of what Christmas is or how it starts is wrong. There you go. That was your introduction to how the church gets labeled haters. I just called something wrong. You're welcome. It's also wrong to get underwater and take a deep breath. Anyway, all kinds of objective realities. This second phrase that the angels say, perhaps even more problematic, and peace on earth. All right, folks, talk to me. Anything offensive about that and peace on earth? If you have a word-for-word translation of the Bible in front of you, you most likely are seeing the words heavenly host. That is a military term. Your dynamic equivalents are going to say the armies of heaven or something like it. If you grew up in church, I promise they did not flannel graph this thing correctly. You did not see a bunch of angels surrounding the shepherds, all of them with a huge flaming sword in hand. No one showed you that. No one talked to you about that. The host of heaven is an army. How great, how interesting of God's humor that an army is coming to proclaim peace. Note takers, you're probably already ahead of me. God sent an army to accompany Jesus' birth. That means Christmas was an invasion. I said to the first service, your emotions about D-Day 
totally depend on who you are. If you're a mama and your boys are 21 and 19 and you hear through the wire that they are about to invade France to, uh, to deliver occupied Europe from Nazi Germany and you've got two boys that you know are infantry, that invasion is terrifying to you. Anybody with me? Are you guys with me at all? I'm putting you guys to sleep or it's the soft time of the rain. If you've got two boys in the infantry and you hear there's about to be an invasion, this is terrifying, okay? But what if that same mama, maybe she already lost her boys. What if she's French? She's been in occupied France for the last few years. And you hear that the Americans, the British, and the Canadians are coming. Does that bring fear or does it bring hope? No one's denying that a high cost is about to be paid. No one's debating that. The question is, are you about to be delivered? So interesting that the army, swords in hand, says, peace. And again, let's go to 10th grade English class. Anybody remember what a prepositional phrase is? On earth, so put your parentheses around on earth, that's qualifying peace. So is peace everywhere? I hope not. Because if you agree with everything God has said thus far in the first two-thirds of the Bible, there was a war in heaven. And one of God's angels decided to become his enemy and then became the enemy of humanity because we had God's image all over us. And he's been making war in the heavenlies. And I sure hope somebody fights back. This is a terrifying phrase if your name is Satan. Peace? Where? Oh, on earth. Dang it. And there's another qualifier we'll get to in a bit. Save that for just a bit. Important question about this invasion. Would you worship a deity who had the power that he could wage war against every dark thing, but he sat by and did nothing? Would you worship him as the center of your life? This is really critical for us to ask because today in the Western world, one of the most common things, those of us who are struggling with faith, struggling with the Bible, trying to figure out what we think of Jesus, one of our most common objections is seeing something awful happen in the world, a tsunami, a tornado, a war, and say, I couldn't worship a God who allows that kind of thing to happen. few problems, even though this is the narrative. Number one is nobody has lovingly shepherded us to the first three chapters of the Bible so that we could get context for what's going on in the world. That everything dark and broken is because humanity joined with Satan in a rebellion against God. We did that. It's right there in Genesis 3. That means all brokenness points back to us as a people, maybe not as an individual, but humanity as a people. We have rebelled against God and broken that relationship. That means all the darkness flows out of our decision-making as a race. And God could have said, look at the mess you made, humanity. Enjoy the mess. Would you worship a God who is completely powerful, all-knowing, all-wise, could speak the cosmos into existence. He makes us, we break the whole creation by rebelling against him. And he sits by and says, good luck. Would you worship him?
Because Christmas says loud and clear that this God does not exist. Is that good news or what? You're angry at a God that doesn't exist. There is no creator God who made us and who abandoned us. He's not real. He's freaking Santa Claus. You are angry at a God that does not exist. Would you believe in him, please? Would you believe in him? We've been trying for 2,000 years to get you to read this. It's so clear that he loves you. It's so clear that he has loved me despite me. There is no creator God who has left humanity on their own. There is none. There's none. You're angry at a fairy tale. You're angry at a fairy tale. He's just a myth. He's a fairy tale. You don't need to be angry any longer. He doesn't exist. He doesn't exist. If armies coming to proclaim peace, if that's kind of the mold that we are given for what Christmas, how it's supposed to behave, ARCF, are we willing to take our calling and say we're going to be an army and we're going to proclaim peace? It's going to be a peculiar. Who would agree with me if an army of angels shows up? That's peculiar. That doesn't happen every day of the week, right? Right? It also is peculiar when a redeemed people grab their sword and they show up and you think they're here to make war. Oh, you're religious types. You're here for a jihad. Yes, we are. And our Bible says that we do not make war against flesh and blood, but against the dark things, the unseen things, everything that hates God. We make war against that. How? I'm glad you asked. By pushing light into the darkness. What's the light? Jesus. I'm glad you asked. So, ARCF, are you comfortable being an army that proclaims peace? You didn't know that one little line told us everything that we needed to know about ourselves, did you? Are you ready to be an army that proclaims peace? You, if you live in the United States, raise your hand if you live in the United States. You live in a world where the people around you oftentimes view this as a weapon. And they're right in a weird sort of sense. But this is not here to attack Citrus Heights. It is to attack every dark thing. And we are an army who is here to proclaim peace on the earth among those with whom God is pleased. I'm going to get super insanely practical. I've never done this before, but here we go. I'm just going to talk to the Christians here for a minute. To proclaim peace to your coworker this week. To declare peace to your family member. To declare peace to your next door neighbor. Your classmate. You've got two options because the gospel is a proclaimed message. It's not just doing nice things. It, it's not good behavior only. It's good news. You have two options. You can tell your friend who God is and how much he has loved them in the cross of Christ. Or you can invite them here and I'll tell them. Is that simple enough for you? We learned, if you were with us a couple months ago, there's, there is no wrong answer here. One of these is come and see kind of ministry. The other is go and tell. Jesus used both all throughout his ministry. It's not a matter of right and wrong. Some of you might be terrified of talking to your friend about who Jesus is. I'm going to pray for you as the Holy Spirit gives you more and more courage. I want ARCF to be a family where we coach and train each other how desperately necessary it is to push past the social awkwardness and love and serve somebody well to let them know who God is.
But if you're not there yet, I'm gonna make a promise to you today. And this is the part that I said I've, I've never done before, but I think it's a good idea. If you would like to know what I'm gonna preach next week, you get to cheat because it's in the book, right? Just go to December 8th. That's the text I'm gonna preach. I'm gonna stand right here. I'm gonna say the same stuff I say 52 Sundays a year. I have one trick pony. I'm gonna open the same book I always open. I'm gonna proclaim the same savior I always proclaim. We're gonna throw seed next week. And we can't control the outcome. God never told us we could try. Christians are to throw the seed of the gospel and people will respond how they will respond. My promise to you is that I'm gonna be here next week. If the Lord doesn't come back and I don't get hit by one of those nice red Chevys with the bow on it, I'll be here, right here, at the nine and at the 1045 for part two of Come Let Us Adore Him. And my promise to you is that I am going to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ as clearly and as winsomely as I possibly can. Will you bring your friend? I shared with the first service, we have, based on our stats for October, November, we have about 220 adults and teenagers that are here between the two English-speaking services and the Spanish-speaking service. We have about 220 of us, age seventh grade and up. What do you guys think about the idea of growing our church 10% in a single week? Why not? That's only 22 people. Do you think we could bring 22 guests next week? 22 friends? 22 family members, 22 neighbors, classmates. Do you think we could do it? It's all right if you think no. No, nope, there's no way. Do you, think, do you think we could do it? Because we're talking, when I say 220, what I'm saying now is 22 of us bring a friend next week and 198 of us get to eat bonbons and do nothing. If 198 of us do nothing, 22 of us bring a friend, we made it. Do you think we could do it? For those of you that are Christians, who was the person that first came into your mind when I said, let's bring 22 friends next week? Since that person's name entered your mind, their face entered your mind, you've already thought of six excuses as to why you're not gonna invite them. Take those excuses and toss them. It must be unthinkable to you for your friend to not experience Christmas for real this year. That must be unthinkable to you. It must become that. The challenge has been laid. I want to see if you guys can do it. I believe you can. Last phrase of this really amazing proclamation. Second prepositional phrase, peace on earth and peace to those whom, with whom God is pleased. Huh? This news just gets keep, getting worse and worse. Wait, God has to be pleased with me for to get me to get the peace? There is a reason, and I took a couple pictures. I ended up not putting them in the slideshow. There's a reason when you walk around stores... You can find ornaments and decorations all day long that say the words peace on earth. You can't get as many that say peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. <laughs> we don't like that part. That's confusing and or terrifying. Wait, does he like me? Is he pleased with me? Well, let's... First of all, let's figure out this Greek phrase. If we figure it out, we're going to know who God's pleased with. End of Matthew 3. After his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my dearly loved Son, who brings me great joy. 
Same exact phrase that the angels used. Who is God pleased with in this text? Jesus. Does that give you any comfort? No, Jesus was perfect. I can't measure up to that. Goodness gracious, died for the whole world. What about this text? Also in Matthew. Jesus' transfiguration. But even as he spoke, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my dearly loved Son, who brings me great joy. Listen to him. Same phrase. Same problem. The Father is pleased with the morally perfect Son of God. Whoop-dee-doo. Thanks a lot, Greg. That doesn't help me. Any sinners here today? Sinners. Anybody? Yeah, okay, great. So, huh? How on earth have we been embracing Christmas for 2,000 years as good news? Earlier in our text, the single angel, good news of great joy, which is for all the people. Wait a second. There's good news of great joy for all the people? And yet later when they're praising, there's going to be peace for some. Is it possible that peace coming to some of humanity is still good news for all of humanity? Mind blown, right? We didn't know we were doing a philosophy class today. But we pointed out when we taught John 3.16 that this is all throughout the scripture. For God so loved the world, okay? That, That term means the whole world, not leaving anybody out, that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes would not perish. There are two groups in that verse. There's something about God's love for the whole world that he even gave you or I an opportunity to love his son. That's mind-boggling. We tend to think that unless you gave me this gift, um, how could you possibly love me? And God is saying, I showed my love for you even offering you the gift. I proved my love before you accepted or rejected my son. Yeah, I'm, yeah, help me, Dennis. I'm preaching now. God proved his love by offering his son to humanity. Even if I stay in rebellion against him, God has nothing to prove. He has nothing to prove. So why on earth, how could I be among those to whom those with whom he is pleased? Huh? I've got even better news for you. Some of you guys know the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, uses this same word all throughout the Old Testament as well. But Jesus wasn't back in the Old Testament. How did they use this term throughout the Old Testament as well? And who was it talking about? It was just the really superheroes of the Bible, right? God was pleased with the really, really good guys like Joseph who never did anything wrong, right? No. Do you know where this term is used throughout the Old Testament? It's used over and over again to talk about Israel right after God renews a covenant or reminds them of his promises. If you've ever read the Old Testament, you know how breathtaking that is. How could God be pleased with people except that he has unilaterally made a covenant, made an agreement with them and saying, I'm going to be good and faithful to you no matter what. It's not about you deserving it. So here on this side of the cross, it's really simple. Jesus goes to the cross I should have died on after living the life I should have lived. And he offers himself as a substitution. So that one day I, Greg Kaiser, walk into heaven with credentials that say Jesus Christ on them. How can I do that? Except that Jesus went to the cross, and while he hung on the cross, he had billions and billions of name badges around his neck, and one of them said, Greg Kaiser. That's why God is pleased with me. The Father, right now, looks at me, and he sees the righteousness of his Son. And that's why I have peace with God. Peace on earth for Greg because Jesus and Greg swapped credentials. And that's the only way. It's the only way. Who does God see when he looks at you? Who does he see? 
Our first core value as a church is that we connect an authentic relationship. So in the name of authenticity, I'm about to ask the Christians to all raise their hand publicly and confess something. See all the Christians just broke a sweat? Are you ready? Okay. Who here is a son or daughter of the Most High God but often forgets? Okay. I, I, used to, I oftentimes, you guys have heard from me, I use that as one of my functional definitions of the word sin. Sin is whatever we do when we forget who our Father is because when we know who our Father is, we have a new identity in light of that. Amen? So if I'm rebelling against him, I'm acting like he's still my enemy. I'm operating, operating out of a deceived mind and a crooked heart that he's working on changing and molding. When the Father looks at me, who does he see? There are only two options. He can see who I am by myself, or he can see what? Paul said it this way, for I am crucified with Christ. There it is. Therefore, it is now no longer I that live, but Christ who lives in me. His cross was my cross. I did die on it. I did? What? Not for my sins. No. He died on it to get rid of my sin. And when he did it, the old Greg got stamped up on there and nailed on there, and we want him dead. Trust me. Some of you guys have seen more of the old Greg than others. Nobody wants the old Greg. And Paul says of himself, he wrote Bible. He was way holier than me. And Paul says the old Paul is nailed to the cross with Jesus. And that's where we want the old self to be. Amen? We don't want none of that. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. There is a new self filled with the Spirit of God. And why is that new self even in existence? Unless we were born of a woman once, and then we were born of the Spirit. John 3. You were born a second time. You were born spiritually. And you now have a heart that loves God. You have that heart. Why? Because Jesus swapped credentials with you. Does God see his son when he looks at you? If you're kicking the tires of the Christian faith, I'm here to tell you the bad news so that you can accept the good news. Right now, the father still sees you when he looks at you. That's not good news. He still sees everything you've ever done or thought or said that offended him, that hurt other people. And you need to understand that, that you've offended a righteous and holy, perfect God, but you've offended a God who loves you so much he would let his son die on a cross for you. His mercy and justice go together. Who does God the Father see when he looks at you right now? And if you have found yourself, as I proclaim or as we sang, or when a friend talked to you earlier this week, if you have found this news of Jesus being the Savior of the world, and you've found it odd, I, you know, I didn't used to believe this, but I think I believe it now. Then I have the privilege of letting you know that the Holy Spirit changed your heart, and you're a Christian now. A Christian is not somebody who cries some tears and comes forward and prays a prayer. That's all well and good. But a Christian is a person who has a new heart that is indicated by one thing over and over again. God speaks, and I find myself believing him. He speaks, and I find myself, why do I trust him? I didn't trust him a minute ago. I thought this was nonsense five minutes ago. That means the Holy Spirit just gave you a new heart. Welcome to the family of God. If you believe God for the first time, it would be my privilege to meet you. So make sure to come say hi. We have groups starting up after the new year called disciple groups that last 12 weeks. And they're exactly what they sound like, groups of disciples, people trying to follow after Jesus. And if you are a new Christian, actually, if you've been a Christian for a long time, you need to be in a community that's going to help you learn and grow. Amen? Amen? Okay, so starting next week, we're going to have some sign-ups at the back. I love you guys. I don't want anybody to miss Christmas this year. There's so, much of our, so many of our city who are going to miss it this year if we don't do something.
So those of you who are Christians, you have your marching orders. I'm a Christian, so I have my marching orders. I gotta figure something out. I work in this office and everyone knows Jesus already. So I'm gonna have to figure something out. I'm gonna pray for us. And then those of you who love Jesus, please allow Christmas to start ASAP. Give God his praise. Say thank you to him for sending his son. Tell him thank you 30 times a day. It's allowed. It's not against the rules. You can thank him over and over with every decoration that you see, every song that you hear. You can thank him and tell him how good he is. God, it is so backwards for us to pursue your fame in our city. God, out of our sin, we like to make a big deal out of ourselves. But Christmas just screams that we needed a deliverer and that you sent him, and we thank you. God, you were so clearly and so loudly the first missionary. You came to our dark world, and I ask for your forgiveness, God, for all the ways that I have allowed Christmas to be anything other than you sending me as well. That you have sent me to Citrus Heights, to Roseville, to Fair Oaks, to Carmichael, to Rancho. God, we ask your forgiveness. Make missionaries out of us this Christmas season. And God, if we need to see you rightly for the first time, turn us into the woman of John 4 who would run into town and declare boldly, come meet a man who told me everything I ever knew. Could he be the Messiah? Do that by your mercy. Do it by your grace, not because we deserve it. And allow us to celebrate with unbridled passion, God, perhaps even forcing us to put the baptismal back on this stage before Christmas. God, would you move among us, pushing back darkness. In the beautiful name of Jesus Christ, we pray, and God's people said, Amen. Amen. Love you guys. Have a good week.